Episode number 22 of the Mets Up Podcast. The boys are back. We're here in the same room, so you know it's always going to be electric. Just finished up a series against the Baltimore Orioles, talking Mets baseball as we always do after every single series. This is a spot to listen. You guys are here doing it, or maybe you're watching us on YouTube. Here's where the plug comes in. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Mets Up. Search it. You'll find us. You can't miss us. Follow us everywhere that you got social media, as well as make sure that if you want to listen to us, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere that podcasts are, you can hear my beautiful voice, Mark Luino, Draftnik Mark, along with James, sultry sounds, at Jeter had no range. James, it's a series against the Orioles. We split. Did you just describe my internet voice as sultry? Like the words I type? Sultry, yes. I don't know how you could personify typed words, but yeah, sure. Get, get back to the game. <laughs> can you not say sultry for voice? You can't sultry for voice, but you made it sound like the words, the tweets, the Twitter. Mm, that's true. I, a little bit of both. A little non, bit of both. Non-point. Non-point. Anyway, Mets, Baltimore Orioles. This was a series we were hoping to take two. We took one. Two pretty horrible games. Mm-hmm. Either way you slice it, like Mets, big win in game two, big loss in game one. Super weird initial thoughts. What are you just thinking about the series as a whole? There were just four interesting innings through two games, which yeah. is bad just from an entertainment standpoint. Like, I want to watch these games. I want to enjoy these games. And both of them are borderline unwatchable. From a team standpoint, I think it's fine that they got where they had to go tonight after playing an awful shit game yesterday. As I wrote in our notes, that was pure uncultured shit. <laughs> but, like, thank goodness that they retained, like, some of the momentum they grabbed over the weekend with the Padres. But isn't it weird? That the weekend they split the series and we're like one of the best teams in the National League. We can't get enough of the Mets. The Mets earned so much respect this weekend. Split series of the Orioles immediately after. This team stinks. I can't believe they did that. What's going on? What are we going to fix before the weekend? Yeah, I got called Frank the Tank on Twitter yesterday by Darren. I did too. Yeah. Someone tagged me one of his um one of his tweets. Patty Coates, who follows us pretty intently. So yeah, thanks, Patty. Yeah, no, Darren, uh, seven line guy, friendly. He likes to give me crap about my fake jerseys and stuff, but he came at me calling me, oh, stop it, Frank. And I was like, hey, listen, I just said the Mets lost game one. I was like, it's over. Like, we can move on. Go do, go spend time with your family. Go do something. You don't need to watch this game. It's over. I got called Frank the Tank. That's probably one of the lowest moments in my life, I've got to say. Painting us as the negative members of Mets Twitter is a ridiculous accusation, a bold claim that's unfounded. I won't stand for it. Yeah, no. We're the we're the positive guys. We're the happy ones. From the start, we've been telling you this team's going to be good. And even though we did split with the bad Baltimore Orioles, there's some stuff to take from each and every game still, as we always find our silver linings, even in the losses. Let's get it started with game one. Going to be tough. We're going to really have to dig through some shit to find something <laughs> here because it was just a bad game. I mean, at the start, it looked really good. But then David Peterson is just a mess. I don't know what's going on with him. Awful. I did a deep dive into Peterson today to try and figure out what was wrong. I posted a tweet about it, just the fact that he is just not the same guy, especially against right-handed pitching, since that dominant outing he had in Tampa Bay. But just to get into his entire start, like it's so deflating to give up a first-inning lead. Like When you get on the board top of the first inning, and you take you, you have the possibility to take control of a game. You had this comment to me last week when we were just talking casually that if you could put a zero on the board there, you change the entire game. You take the team right out of it. It's a and shutdown f- inning, and that's the second straight start. He had a shutdown inning in the first, mm-hmm. and he just gave it right away. Right away. Immediately gave it away. And it was just so clear again, just like in Arizona last week, just like a few times over the course of this season, where he just did not have it from the jump. He didn't. He just didn't have it at all. The Orioles are putting the ball in play nonstop. 
They weren't swinging and missing anything. He wasn't getting any called strikes ever. It was just every single thing was hittable or it was just non-competitive. Yeah, he's always had the issue with control. Even last year, like he had those games where he will just lose it for an inning and that's going to happen with a dude who's six foot four, six foot five. I don't remember how tall he is. He's a large human being, but his mechanics are super, super hard to you know replicate every single time because there are so many moving parts, which is why it was even so crazy that Randy Johnson was as good as he was considering how massive of a human he is. But David Peterson is not Randy Johnson. No. So when things are not clicking, it goes really, really bad. And we've seen that the last two starts. It's got people thinking about like demotion for this guy. Like, I know you're going to go deep into the numbers here, but I don't think that there's really anything positive you can pull from that start. Like, it's it's tough. No, in David Peterson's defense, him at 25 is pretty similar to Randy Johnson at 25. David Peterson can have a renaissance in 10 years. It doesn't affect the Mets right now. What affects the Mets right now is the fact that we have... We're averaging more than one game a day for the next month. And Rojas said it pretty candidly after the game that they would like to have David Peterson work out this tough stretch in the minor leagues at Syracuse, but they just don't have that ability right now. They don't have that luxury to let him do that. And I think it's worth noting, too, I saw Tim Ryder. I'm a Mets fan. Get a little podcast over there. Independent journalist, yeah. Yes, give him a follow. Uh, He talked about how at the beginning of the year, he had a tweet where he said, like, hey, Peterson is not going to necessarily be the pitcher that we expect, but it's really because... He hadn't made starts really above double A before last year. No. And he just went right up to the majors because the Mets needed him. Mm -hmm. So he stepped up. He's still like relatively young in his pitching days Mm -hmm. because he still hasn't even seen most of the minors. So like it was, we shouldn't have expected him to just come out and be really good. And like this young rookie prospect that we have, that's going to be able to come into this rotation and be like a legitimate piece. I think that was maybe asking a little bit too much, but also I don't think we expect him to be as bad as he's looked. Definitely. The thing that frustrates me the most about Peterson is that he was a first-round pick. It's I don't understand like the process of taking a guy in the first round who maxes out in like the low mid nineties, and who at the time did not have a dominant breaking ball. I'm going to start talking about a slider once we're in a, in a moment, but it doesn't make any sense as to why a sinker changeup guy without velocity could get into the first round. Yeah, that's a very... What draft did he go in? Do we know? 2015. I'm trying to think, like, is that Sandy who made that pick, or is it was it a Brody pick? Yeah. It was 2017 Peterson got drafted. That was the last year of the first Sandy Alderson regime. That was like the uh, the three-headed monster, right? When they were going with, like, three different guys, I think, Wait, at once. Yeah, and Jake, it was Jake Ricardi, Jay, Yeah, and yeah. Rizzi or whatever his name yeah. was. Like, it was... It's a questionable pick. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, of course. I'm sure when the Mets picked David Peterson, they didn't think that he was going to not really grow into be a more you know velo heavy pitcher. Dude's huge. He should throw harder. Yeah. Not the point anyway. What we saw on the field was not strong, not good. And it's the second straight start. Many starts that he's done this year have looked very similar to this. He seems to lose it, and when he loses it, like he he's gone. He can't find it. It's, we're at the point now this season where we have to admit that Peterson is not going to be like the strikeout with like two, three guy that we expected, like especially in the near future, the next couple of years, especially this one, he probably should just be a contact guy. Cause it seems like he was trying to make an adjustment. One that I was lauding him for to become more of the forcing fastball slider guy. And that was working in a way at certain times, but it has given, it has lowered his floor so, so much much more than I ever even thought it could. Like when he was ripping that back foot slider to righties, those couple starts he was great. The one in Philadelphia, especially the one in Tampa Bay that I'm going to reference a lot. Like he looked like a pretty like good pitcher. Like That made you go like, there he is. Yeah. That's what we've been waiting for. That's what they saw. That's what they thought they were going to get. Now we're seeing the pitcher where you go like, what? 
I'm not sure what they thought. Because, like, he just... I compared him to Steven Matz, and I hate it. Matz had better stuff anyway. So that's just, like, one thing off the table completely. But, like, the idea of where, like... Mats would have that avalanche inning where everything would snowball, 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 and it'd be eight runs. And it feels like Peterson's that same way where last year in 2020, he was able to get out of those innings pretty cleanly. Still got into plenty of trouble, but was able to get out of them. This year, it seems like he can't figure it out and make that adjustment mid-game to get out of these innings. And definitely, like a lot of it is body language. I think he sulks a little bit. He seems to get behind himself when the ump screws something up for him. Yeah. But last night, there was none of this. He just got dominated by the Orioles, especially the Orioles right-handed bats and that is where Peterson has struggled over the stretch that is where he's become this pitcher who seems unpitchable at times from opening day through that start against the Rays Peterson was striking out 27% of righties he was only walking 10% of them their Woba was 320 that's very good for a left-handed pitcher doesn't throw gas that's pretty good stuff that was in 33 and a third innings since that Rays start so he's had 13 innings since which I think is four starts which not good 13 innings and four starts a really 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 bad spot to be he has a 17% strikeout, so down 10%, 11% walk, that's similar, 460 Woba. Yeah, it's so huge. People are not striking out more against him, and they're hitting the ball harder and more favorable outcomes when it goes in play. Specifically, the thing that he's lost since then is that back foot slider. And I was looking at like his mechanics and stuff the last couple days, really just today, trying to figure this out for the listeners at home. I looked a lot of his location. Location is the thing that he's screwing up. Oh, he can't hit a spot for his life right now. Nothing. Everything's outside. Outside, outside, outside. And he, like, used to have much more confidence with throwing that slider in the zone. That's something he's completely lost. I thought this was going to be a whiff problem with Peterson. I figured, like, he wasn't getting the same bite, wasn't getting the same movement. That combined with the location, maybe something mechanical, that was what was wrong. And I thought the data bore that out because that slider is striking out 13% less right-handed batters since that Tampa Bay start, and it's also getting eviscerated. He has the same amount of extra base hits given up on that slider in the 13 innings since that Tampa as the 33 innings before. So clearly, hitters have found a way to hit it, and it's because he's just not getting ahead of them with that pitch. He has not gotten one called strike against a right-handed batter with that slider oh, since Tampa Bay. That's so not bad. Not one. That's so bad because if essentially if you're a right-handed hitter— you can basically sit fastball, and if you yeah. see any sort of break, you can just spit on it because it's not going to be a strike. Exactly. Or when it's in the strike zone, as I said, they're annihilating it. Yeah. It's like the Wob was over 900 in the last 13 innings, specifically on the slider. That's a small sample, of course. Keep that in mind. But they're crushing it, and the whiff rates are the same. The swing strike, r- strike rates are the same. They're just absolutely so aware of if this pitch is going to be a meatball or at their feet, and they're crushing it. Yeah, he's just not been very good, which is disappointing because this was a guy that we, you know, thought coming into the season could be a nice little, you know, serious cog in this rotation. He's if the Mets didn't have the injuries that they had, if the Mets had just a little bit more depth even at the starting rotation, even though like that's not really truly their issue, it's really more so the injuries that Yamamoto's on the 60th day, Syndergaard, Carrasco, all these guys are hurt, and then they have to add guys to the roster, like adding Eikhoff. People are talking about Jared Eikhoff first off like I don't really know how much better Jared Eikhoff's going to be over David Peterson. But they have to add him to the 40-man, which means they then have to take somebody off or somebody mm-hmm. has to hit the IL. And then eventually that person's going to come back and they're going to have to kick him right back off. So like, I think Eikhoff is like a worst-case scenario emergency situation. Unfortunately, it seems like Peterson's just going to have to figure it out at the major league level. Eikhoff becomes the, the phantom injury replacement. Yeah, We see teams do this all the time. We've seen the Mets do it sometimes. I thought that Yamamoto was a phantom injury before they put him on the 60, which yeah. even, I guess it still could be. I'm not going to make claims or accusations, but it was really weird that it happened when he seemed healthy and just pitched like shit. 
But that is the way you get Jared Lakoff on this roster. Because I don't know if the Mets are willing to cut a guy from the 40-man as thin as their position player corps are. Because another underrated story from Tuesday night's game was how awful the offense was. Lifeless. After the first inning. Yeah. First inning, Lindor got the walk. Mm-hmm. Pete hit the home run. That was it. Cool. And Pete's homer late in the game. Yeah. But, you know, whoop de doo But everyone was dead. It was a dead fish game. Yeah, it seemed like the Mets kind of came into Baltimore a little bit like we don't even have to play that well. We just split with the Padres. This is the Orioles. We're going to come out, play our baseball, and be fine. And then Peterson, I mean, like from a player perspective, I'm sure it's also not easy to play behind a guy who was walking everybody, gave up the lead just like that when you earned it nice and easy in the first inning. You went from being in the driver's seat to playing from behind real quickly. And I think we also have to give a little... Cut a little slack here to Gesellman. He also did not pitch well yeah. either. So Peterson sure. didn't pitch well, but Gesellman didn't come in and stop the bleeding either. Could be a little bit because Baltimore is just such a hitter's park, mm-hmm. but Gesellman also didn't look sharp. No, a place like Camden Yards is a literal nightmare for Robert Gesellman because the bat is always going on the ball. Yeah. And the bat on the ball in Camden Yards means something much worse than the bat on the ball in most major league ballparks. So it, that's just a recipe for disaster. He was in there for mop-up duty. It's also funny that people on Twitter were saying, like, Gazelman should be getting these starts. He should not be getting these starts, people. Robert Gazelman is so perfect in the role he's in now, which is, like, the big lead guy or the trying-to-stay-in-a-game guy. We need a couple of innings. We need a bridge. And we kind of have to get, like, a little bit lucky for this to be effective. That's Gazelman. You don't want him to get overexposed like he was on Tuesday. Yeah, Mets are going to have to get real creative with this, you know, every five days Go figure. Peterson's the biggest question mark right now, not Lucchese. I don't think we saw that coming. No. And I want to bring up Lucchese a second just because of a funny stat from this game. The Mets got doubled to death on Tuesday night. Doubled to death. Gave up seven doubles in the game. So many. That's so many. But shockingly, like when I was doing some research today about this, that was not even the most doubles the Mets have allowed this season. That's wild. That's wild. so many. It was that crazy, awful Saturday game in Tampa where Joey Lucchese was on the mound. He gave up eight doubles to the Rays. Eight. Yeah, that was a real good game that we, we hung out on the terrace. We, <laughs> we weren't watching too much of that because we were like, oh, this game's over. Yes. Wonderful. We'll not suffer much longer through this. Don't have to deal with it anymore, as would happen with this game. But also a funny thing from game one, I listened to most of it on the radio, and Howie and Wayne Randazzo were in their element. They were spewing nonsense. They were just having a blast from the jump. They were talking about, like, COVID. They were talking about, like, each other. Like, it was so bizarre the, like just to listen to them talk about nothing because this game had nothing. It had nothing to do. No, it was seriously. And, like, kind of was the theme for the series because game two, I think we're done with game one here. Game two was just a game of nothing except we happened to win. I mean, like, it really wasn't nothing because we scored 14 runs, which we just don't do often. I think we had our highest run total against the Orioles the last time yeah. out. So, like, we don't score that many runs. But it was good to see the offense hitting and absolutely annihilate Matt Harvey again, mm-hmm. which further cements the whole thing that Harvey's just done, doesn't have it, and will not be back on this New York Mets team ever. No, of course. But, like, now we're beating a dead horse. Like, this is kind of sad. Harvey's ERA since that, so it was like in the fours going into that game at City Field that we were at, watched them get crushed. That sent his whole season in a tizzy. Going into today's game, the ERA was over 12 and a half. So afterwards, I'm sure it's nearing like 15, 16. Well, yeah, I think he was at like 6, 9 entering the game, but like since that start. Yeah, I'm saying on the season, he's oh. like bottom three in the league, possibly yeah. the worst. I think the only guys with higher ERAs than him going into the day were Mitch Keller and Luis Castillo. Matt, oh, shoot, Schumacher. Matt Schumacher, too. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about, well, Luis Castillo should be better. Not important. Matt Harvey just doesn't have it. No. We, like, talked about it was nice that it seemed like he got closure almost, like, the last time he came back and, like, got really introspective and was talking, like, kind of very mature, which we haven't seen from mm-hmm. 
thought that could have maybe been, you know, something that maybe pushed him forward or like could lift that weight off his shoulders a little bit, but clearly it is not. He's been horrible. No, it screwed them up. It might have honestly screwed them up. Like that emotion running through might have like been a realization moment for Matt Harvey where he was like, what happened to my life? Like it's sad. Like this guy was at the top of this profession and now he's had stints with the Angels and the A's, the Royals in the minor leagues. Yeah. Now the Orioles, like that is the MLB pitching graveyard. Yeah, like you- those are the teams who pick up garbage on a regular basis matt harvey was strictly signed by the orioles because he had a pulse and could throw a baseball that's it they needed a starting pitcher he filled that void it's crazy they tried to get felix hernandez who hasn't been good in five years at least they had the gall to cut him yeah (laughs) put him out of his misery yeah no but uh mets got off to a strong offensive start again lindor walked pete alonzo home run start the game off two nothing fantastic taiwan then comes out for the first inning and does taiwan stuff and uh, it was an interesting first inning, but gets out of it. What do you mean when you say Taiwan stuff? Because he did not start the game hot. He had a very shaky. No, I'm saying first. like he does Taiwan stuff yeah. where like he gets out of it. He's a bulldog. Yeah. He's always battling. That was a good old fashioned rally. Three three singles for the Orioles to manufacture a run. All the old school baseball people out there. See how effective that is? Got one run. Yeah, Way nice. Go. Really good for the Orioles that they were still losing after a first inning when they got three hits. And it really, really fucked them for the game because we went crazy right after that yeah the offense went off and taiwan settled in but it was really nice let's just focus on the offense first to see everybody in the outfield hit a home run tonight and we saw two out did kevin plar hit two as well yes kevin plar hit two home runs billy mckitty hit two home runs and mason williams hit a home run so the outfield almost hit six home runs combined which would have been crazy because the names that we just threw out there should never hit that many home runs in a single game billy mckinney has seven on the year Second, I think, on the team. Second, second or third, whatever he is. Seven or six? Seven. seven. Oh, my God. Seven home runs on the season in his 15 or 20 games that he's played. So, Billy Bombs, man. He just continues to be a really nice player even after having that, like, mess up in the first inning. Yeah, whatever. But Billy has been such a godsend for this team. Like, we were probably irrationally excited about his acquisition when it happened a few weeks ago. But suddenly, the guy, like you said, second on the team in home runs. He has played all three outfield positions, and he, again, his defense is actually not, I would say, not good. He's probably league average, if not below yeah, average. Sure. He's hit, I think, in six different spots in our lineup. Like, he is Mr. Do-It-All right now. He's, he's, he's Billy America, All-American Bill. Plug in Billy Bombs anywhere, and he's going to get the job done. He did it again tonight. Good to see Pilar hitting for some power and, mm-hmm. you know, looking comfortable. I, he hasn't not looked comfortable ever since the face thing, Crazy but comfortable. He's, uh, he's been really good. Mason... Mason Williams hits his first Met home run against his former team, and the last team that he played against while he was an Oriole was the Mets, which is very funny. And this might be his last game as a New York Met because Albert Almora looks like he's on his way back, mm-hmm. and Mason Williams probably just gets the you know unlucky DFA because they don't have room for him, and they're going to play Almora. And he'll definitely get picked up. He'll get Oh, for sure. He'll have, he's a, he'll have a job before Saturday. He's a competent Major League Baseball player. He really he, is. He like by no means is good. But he showed me something that goes, he should be on a major league roster on some team somewhere. He might not be good, like the sum of his parts, but he does things well. Yes. And that's the same as McKinney. That's the same as Peraza. You know who's going to pick him up? Tampa Bay Rays. They'll pick him up. They'll be uh, like, you play good defense, we'll stick you in the corner outfield. They almost have too many center fielders right now. Yeah. But we can't, I don't want to talk about the Rays anymore. The Rays, the Rays own the Mets. (laughs) But yeah, so it was good to see, you know, him get his first home run and what's probably going to be his last game. Almora is coming back. Guillaume is coming back. We didn't see Blankenhorn, I don't think, in the game tonight, which he's probably on his way out too Mm because Guillaume, those would be two nice pieces to get back. We saw Pete Alonso hit another home run, like I said. VR was swinging the bat. Lindor got a hit. McCann got a couple of hits. Peraza, I think, was the only guy who went hitless on the night. Oh, Dom Smith. Yeah, Dom did not play well. 
Dom didn't play well. That big two-out rally, whenever that was, the fourth, the fifth, whenever yeah. we really... No, third. But I don't third, know. fourth, whatever it was. Sometime in the beginning of the game, not the second or the first, we really bailed out Dom because in the situation where we had first and third and one out, Dom Smith came to the plate against a Matt Harvey on the ropes. And Matt Harvey on the ropes is akin to your average varsity pitcher. Pretty much. Yeah, more Except or less. he throws 92. Like. Yeah, we could touch 97 today. The adrenaline was pumping. Yeah, for sure. But Dom swung at the first pitch. Uncompetitive hack. Not competitive hack. I don't know what that word He was is. like jammed too. Like he like jammed himself. He picked such a bad pitch to swing at. Pop the, ball, a, pop the ball straight up. On a fastball it. too. It wasn't even like Harvey fooled him. It's awful. But again, the boys bailed him out. And while Dom has continued to look not so great, he did have three hard hit balls tonight in his last three at-bats. Of course, those were against three non-major league pitchers. Cole Scheroler. Yeah, I don't Cole, even know if his name's Cole. Cole Scheroler. Cole. Mac. Is, Mac. Wow. Mac is his name. Ten Mac times Scroller. worse than I thought he was going to be. Mac Scheroler. He's a rule five draft pick, so he's simply just going to stick around and get shelled all year so That's the Orioles shame. don't lose him. I didn't really see much from him. No, he gave up six hard-hit balls in two innings of work. That's not ever That's a recipe really for bad. success. Really, really awful. Three home runs and two strikeouts in two innings, so you, you do the math. Not good. Raises ERA to 14.29 on the season. Sorry, Max. Not Scarola. laughing at Mac. I hope Mac has a long, fruitful career. I don't expect it, but I hope he makes a plenty of money for him and his family. Defy the odds. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> Come on, Mac. <laughs> but the offense was good. Pitching, let's talk about Taiwan. Because yeah. like we said, rough start. But he settled in right after that first inning. Dude, settling in doesn't even describe it. He was just cool as a cucumber. Like, he was just perfect. He mixed all five of his pitches. He was getting tons of called strikes. They were making, like, not that much hard contact. I think he only gave up four or five hard-hit balls on the game. And it seemed like a couple of them were right back to him. Like, he got that yeah, line drive from DJ Stewart yeah, that was scary, but also a nice play. He did that, like, a few times where he fielded the ball on the mound. And he didn't move. Like Imme- immediately threw it. What kind of psychopath throws to first base from the mound? Like, are you're begging, begging to roll an ankle. And he hit Pete right in the chest yeah. every single time. Stroman <laughs> spiked it the other day. Taiwan right on the mud. He looked like someone like playing tennis doubles, like the front man, or like a pickleballer, where yeah. he was just like stopping things from getting past the mound. Yes, that's a very good analogy. Yeah. But like, there wasn't even that much to go into with him. Like, his whiff rate was not that great, but he's getting a lot of called strikes. He mixed all of his pitches. He went sicker heavy. Like, this was a good Taiwan. He's just become like our staff's like oatmeal like we can count on taiwan every every five days he's going to get innings he's going to put some position to win the game and he's just going to be good i don't know what the pitch is being classified as but he was throwing what looked like a two seam a little bit tonight and uh it was it was working really really well it was throwing it to the lefties cutting back into the plate that pitch was money it gave me like uh shades of bartolo's almost a little bit where it's like it looks like he's gonna hit him and then it hits the inside corner like freddie galvis took a couple pitches like that and was like yeah i guess i, I can't hit those he was looking really strong. I was happy to see Taiwan come out after a shaky start in San Diego. Look good again. Definitely. I think that pitch is what's classified as a sinker because I think okay. sinkers and two-seamers become like... A little iffy. Sy- yeah, a little synonymous on like the baseball savant database. But he looked great. He did what he needed to do. And it's pretty cool that we're heading into our last off day for a month and into a big set with the Padres on a high note after such a bad game on Tuesday. Yeah, and we get to get it started with our ace, Jacob DeGrom, the best pitcher in baseball, arguably the best player in the game of baseball. Yes, I will say that. He is, with Mike Trout hurt, he is definitely top two. 
especially the fact that he can hit just like Otani. Like that gives him like the slight bump because he's like a much better pitcher and like a a way worse hitter. Yeah. <laughs> so much is more than way in the situation. Definitely, and yeah. he's also like fast like Otani too. Fifty sixth fastest player in Major League Baseball. I'm gonna keep throwing it out. I there. I think Otani has nine steals. So yeah. I mean, also Otani's in the lineup way more. We don't know what Jacob Degrom's hitting stats will be like if he already played forty games. Listen, if he played forty games. Hey, you can't tell me he's, he might not have 15 homers. No. You can't say there's no way he doesn't 10 steals. Do it. If you extrapolate his current batting average over an entire season sample, he's the MVP. Literally, he'd be one of the best hitting seasons of all time. Yeah. Ted Williams, who? <laughs> Jacob DeGrom, that's who. Okay. So, yeah, we're going up against the Padres. I think we'll just do our series preview here, right? Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to end with the end with the farm report. End with the farm report. So, for those of you who are interested in that, stick around, of course. But we're going to talk about the series preview here with the Padres. We got a nice three-game series with them after a day off tomorrow. Me and James will be in attendance on Friday night, the first packed house game in City Field since 2019. So it should be raucous. It should be electric. And you got Jacob DeGrom going up against chinless Blake Snell, who looked unbelievable yeah, the really last good. time the really, Mets really faced good. him. So hopefully we see Blake Snell come back to earth a little bit. Game two. We got Stroman going up against Joe Musgrove, who we handled pretty well, even though he also still pitched well. But that's that's a matchup I'm okay with. I'm cool with it. And then game three, Lucchese Paddock. So it's an interesting weekend because you're, you're, you're starting with your top two and then you go right to Joey Lucchese. It's also the exact same Padres pitchers in the exact same order that we faced them just last weekend. Yes, except... We miss Darvish. We get DeGrom against Snell Yeah, because like Darvish was the Thursday guy. So we're yeah. getting the exact same oh, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's a good point. As last week. That. It's really bizarre. And we've already pushed Lucchese back twice in this series. Like he was originally, like his day is Friday. And then we were like, oh, DeGrom, first game in front of the fans. Face him with Snell, of course. And then like Lucchese was on for Saturday. And they were like, Musgrove, match him with Stroman. Let's come on. Let's get in this game. So now we got Lucchese on Sunday. So I don't know what he's going to look like. Coming off of, it's going to be like seven, eight days rest at that point. Yeah, which, uh, it's Joey Lucchese. We'll yeah. take what we can take from him at this point right now. We just need innings. We need some length with how many games that we do have coming nine up. Nine days rest. It'll be nine days rest for Joey Lucchese. Nine days rest. Just, we need some from you, Joey Lucchese, because we got, what, 32 games in 31 days, I think that's what you've been telling me? Well, including the off day tomorrow. Starting on Friday, the Mets are going to be playing 33 games in 31 days. We're about to go fucking hard right now, Mets fans. Everyone got to gear up and get, get ready for a wild run of this season. And just like we saw with the Padres series last time, this is not a series that we should be worried about. We can go into this series and win two of three without a doubt. Definitely. The Lucchese game is going to be uphill, but with Stroman and DeGrom going two of the games in this series, I understand they also have two very good pitchers pitching in Snell and Musgrove, but I think ours could arguably be better sometimes. So, I mean, DeGrom, 100%. Stroman kind of depends what Musgrove and Stroman you see on the day, but... This is a series that the Mets, there's there's no have to win, but it'd be really nice to see the Mets win two out of three. Yeah. Anything more than that? Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Anything less than that? I don't think it's I don't think it's like you know start calling, ringing the alarms. It's not anything to worry about. You're playing one of the best teams in baseball. We're starting to get some guys back healthy. I'm really excited for the series because the atmosphere is going to be great. It's going to feel like playoff baseball in June. I'm super excited for this series. The fact that we're getting going toe to toe with them in such a short period of time it almost feels like a playoff series yeah the fact that we're playing seven games against the Padres in 10 days yeah and it's and we got four in San Diego Mm -hmm. three in New York which is like 
in theory, what could happen in an NLCS, the Padres most likely will finish with a better record than the Mets. But we're like in first place. Yeah, bad, we play in a bad division, that's why. We're not a good team. Yeah, no, awful division. We're not Mets, a good team. Yeah. We don't have any good players. We didn't go 17-9 and nine with a AAA roster. It's fine. No, the Mets are only six games over 500 in June. That's like not enough. No, we haven't seen that happen in a very long time. I don't even think the World Series year the Mets were doing this well in June. So I'm feeling so good, so hyped about this team. We've been positive all year long, even in the down times for us. And last week, you said it, you're like, this team cannot do more to make me feel how about how good they're going to be. Like no. they just continue. I know it's a Baltimore Orioles series and we did get smacked one game, but to think that you're not going to lose a game to a bad team once in a while is insane. Like I saw people like, how do you think this team's good? You lost to the Orioles. The Orioles still win 60 games a season. <laughs> so you're telling me that those 60 wins only come against teams that are worse than them. There's no way that happens. I think the Orioles are also like three and one now in June or something like that. They're, no, they're having a great month. Yeah. Well, after winning four games in May, it's uh, <laughs> It's the ninth. <laughs> no, I think they're like six and three. Stay hot, Baltimore. Just not against us. Yeah. Beat the Yankees around. But yeah, Mets, we're good. We're good. We're good. And guess what? We got guys coming back healthy. We got reinforcements coming. McNeil's making a rehab start in the minors, which leads us to our farm report. And first, if you guys are going to be in Brooklyn on Thursday, me and James going to the Brooklyn Cyclones game, seeing my first ever game there, get to see Mauricio Beatty. Alvarez, very excited, super pumped to be there, not excited about getting to Coney no. Island because from Queens, it is an absolute nightmare. And even from Brooklyn, it's apparently an absolute mm-hmm. nightmare. So sure is. that will be fun. Maybe vlog it. Who knows? But the boys will be at, uh, what was it called? Mamuary? <laughs> <laughs> Park. Mamadities. Mamadities Park. Uh, it's a big I think, healthcare, like hospital chain around New York, especially Brooklyn and Queens. So yeah, Mamadities Park, new name of the Cyclones. Going to be, be hanging p- out. Going to be pounding Nathan's hot dogs and $5 beers. It's yeah. going to be a fun night. It'd be a great night. I can't go. Maybe maybe ride the cyclone. Maybe if I, I if I do if I can. I'm interested in like not you know risking my life because that thing sounds like it's gonna break at any time. Apparently, that and is like literally the fun of that ride. Like you go up for the first drop and it's like creaking. Yeah, so, I hate roller coasters to begin with. The idea that death could be imminent is terrifying. It's like you ever do El Toro at a great <laughs> I don't like roller coasters. So Fucking no loser. It's kind of like El Toro if El Toro was built in the 1960s and. There were no safety regulations. They're using like <laughs> aluminum nails. <laughs> Great. Like I love swaying back and forth on a ride. Yeah, it's nothing better. Makes you feel comfortable. Yeah. But let's talk about some of those guys that are going to be playing in some of these minor league parks and that have been doing well for us. The big one, of course, going to be the Brooklyn Cyclones. Let's talk about Mauricio, Beatty, Alvarez, who continue to be really freaking good. Those guys just fucking rake. Like they... The three of the best hitters now in the, I don't even know, it used to be called the New York Penn League. I don't know if the reshuffling of the minor leagues changed the name, but those three are elite. Mid, mid-season reports are coming out now for a lot of these prospects, and they're counting for over a year of data. And there's a good chance that all three of those guys find themselves in the top 50, and that Mauricio and Alvarez both find themselves in the top 25 even. Yeah, I think I think those three guys, top 50 is a lock. Specifically, Alvarez, Mauricio have to be, because they were close to begin with. I think mm-hmm. Alvarez might have already been. He was. Yeah, I think he was like 30-something yeah. maybe. He definitely could be top 25. I'd be shocked if he's not with how he's catching and hitting. I think I think top 10. And Mauricio is turning into the player that we've been waiting for. The power's finally come for Mauricio, which has always been the knock with him. And he's hitting for power. He's hit more home runs so far this year than he did, I think, like the two seasons combined yeah. in the minors. Beatty too. Beatty had a slow start to the season power-wise. He was still getting on base at a, at a good clip. And he still had like pretty good play discipline. He had gap power. But now he's starting putting the ball over the fence. I think he's one of the leaders in that league in OPS. Like, if not the top, then top five. Yeah, those three guys are going to be like the next new core of young guys. Like, we remember Conforto. Well, of course, we remember they're still here, but Conforto, McNeil, Nimmo. 
Alonzo, all these guys coming up together, this is the next group of guys that are going to be super tight-knit, going to be together throughout the minors, make to the majors together, and be a part of a great New York Mets team for time to come. But there's also some other players that are a little less notable or a little under the radar to mention. couple pitchers, though, that I know you're super excited about. JT Gin? Gin? I think it's Gin, but I'm honestly not positive. JT Gin. Gin? I'm going to go Gin. (laughs) I'm going to go JT. JT. I think it's Ginn. JT Tangeray. Yeah, JT. JT, <laughs> that guy we picked from Mississippi State, yeah. made his debut with St. Lucie, was coming off Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. This was a guy who, if he didn't have Tommy John, was a first-round talent. Mm-hmm. Electric stuff. Tommy John, it was a little bit tougher because you had to then keep him away from going back to college to play for that first-round pick. Mm-hmm. But the Mets gave him some money because they saved some money with other picks. Mm-hmm. He made his debut. Yeah, he. I mean, he's going to be brought along slowly. He's a young kid coming off Tommy John surgery. This is not going to be an easy process. But when three innings... One strikeout, two walks, gave up some hits. I think he gave up a couple runs. Like It's just nice to see him playing professional baseball and just building up that confidence, learning how to face hitters, like facing a higher level of competition than he was in college. Like This is a very good thing for JT. JT. For JT. And then the guy that you gave shout-out to the last one, Tyler, I think we're going to call him, right? Tyler. Tyler, Tyler McGill, I Tyler think it's going to be. Yeah. How's he looking? Because he's in AAA now. Yeah, he made his first start in AAA for the Syracuse Mets. He went four innings with four strikeouts and two walks. Gave up two earned runs, so fine. Pretty good for his first exposure to a new level of hitting. It wasn't the dominance he was displaying at Double A, but the fact that he was still striking out an adequate amount of players while the control, I'm sure, wasn't great. But that's a good that's step in the right direction. For a guy who I think the Mets are expecting to contribute at some degree in the Major League level this season, this was a positive appearance for him. Yeah, no, definitely. It's good. He's a guy that we just got to keep in the back of our minds. We talked about Eikhoff being an emergency pitcher. Mm-hmm. If Tyler McGill continues to pitch well, and you don't necessarily want to you know, burn Eikhoff yet, McGill could be a guy that you could throw on there, and you have options, and you really don't have to worry too much about Definitely. And Tom, also to mention, Thomas Zapuki struggled on Tuesday, the same night that Peterson pitched. It's interesting they're on the same schedule, but he didn't look very good, didn't have commands, he was giving up a lot of hard contacts. Not many strikeouts. Kind of same stuff we said about Peterson. Yep. They seem like one and the same. It seems like if you just flip-flop them, similar things will be happening. They're just both on that very similar level where they don't have elite stuff. And they'll, sometimes it'll work, sometimes it will not. But yada, yada, yada. That's whatever. Well, that brings me to what I was talking to you about earlier before we started, where there is this like weird discrepancy between AAA and Major League Baseball. The gap has never been bigger. I don't know who tweeted out. I think MLB Random Stats talked about it even. That like guys like Keston here, Jared Kelnick, uh, Taylor Trammell, like these are all guys who Joe just, Adele, Joe Adele, mash at the AAA level. They are by far way too good for it. But then once they get to the major, something happens and they don't perform. It seems like the gap is bigger than ever, and it seems like Peterson and Zapuki are stuck in this gap where yeah. they can't. They're four A players basically. Yeah, four A players. And I know that the big changes between AAA and like the upper minors and the majors is one is velocity. Because when guys have velocity, they get just shot out right through the system right away. I know this was a big problem for Kessinura. Yeah. He struggles a lot with high fastballs. When you don't have a lot of velocity, you can't really throw a high fastball effectively. So even guys who do try to do that, they get annihilated. Very easy pitch to hit. And most of the guys just don't do that. They just have sinkers and they throw fastballs low. And also, guys in the minor leagues, which this is true of Peterson, this is true of Zabuki, and this is still true of McGill... They don't really have two trustworthy off-speed pitches. I guess Peterson does now, too. Yeah. I know I talked about how much worse the slider's been before, but we've seen its potential. Like, it flash plus, when you use the, the scouting term. Yeah. Flash plus. But the other guys don't have that. So you need to be able to develop that to get major league hitters out. And you need to be aware of how to react to that pitching to be a major league hitter who's successful. And that's a divide. And that's a, it's a shame. And that's kind of what separates the guys who really are those, like, insane top-level prospects. 
and the guys who are just not ready yet. And mm-hmm. that's really what it comes down to is a lot of these guys aren't ready yet. Missed a year of minor league baseball. It's huge for development. But the Mets also have some other hitters that are doing really well in the minors mm-hmm. here. My guy Jake Mangum, Mississippi State guy as well, I believe, or Texas A&M, one of those. It's the same color. We had Maroon. We did this last time. I yeah. think it's A&M. You think it's A&M? Yeah. All right. He went to A&M. The Aggies, Maroon. whatever they are. You hate Texas A&M. Yeah, they're a trash school full of trash people the trash football team. Yeah, but they beat North Carolina. That was a good bet. But anyway... No one played. No one, <laughs> but anyway, Jake Mangum got called up real quickly from A ball to double A, right? Mm-hmm. And he's been hitting in double A, mm-hmm. which is good because this is a guy who, when the Mets were really having these big injury issues, I thought had an outside chance to be really aggressively brought up to the major league level. Right now, he's doing pretty good stuff, though, in double A. Yeah, great stuff in double A. And I'm, I'm happy he is doing good stuff in double A because he's 25 years old. He's That's a senior a, citizen. It's a little old. AARP card to be in single A at the beginning of the season and now double A. I feel like if the McKinney thing didn't happen, he might have gotten a call like last week. Yeah. But again, the guy's hitting well. He has cut his strikeouts down since going from high A to double A, which is huge. He's still hitting for adequate power, which was the like the worry with his profile, 126 WRC plus in 13 games. He might just be one of those good little like filler outfielders that you draft and is fine. Yep. The SEC boys have been doing well. We also got Carlos Cortez, South Carolina Gamecock. Go Cox, as always. You know, my former school. Who I believe, I knew, I believe they call that alma mater. Alma mater, yes. Yeah, whatever. My uh, former school. That's Latin. I don't speak Latin. Um, I don't even think that is Latin. But anyway, <laughs> Carlos Cortez, I saw a little bit of him while I was at school. He is a switch thrower, which is super weird. He plays the infield right-handed, outfield left-handed. He doesn't really have much of a position, but he's mashing at the plate this year. Yeah, mashing at the plate. He has. He's one of those classic like five-seven thick boys that just has like the short compact swing and can when they get around on it, it goes. And over Carlos Cortez's last nine game, he's been getting around on it. Uh, last four games over Carlos Cortez's last four games, he has been getting around on. He has nine hits in those four games, and six have gone for extra bases. This guy also has plus plate discipline with a K rate below 20%, walk rate above 10%. Very good. Great. This is the kind of guy where you might just look up on the Mets roster in a few years, similar to Jake Mangum, and he just has a spot and like hits decently well. Yeah, and he can play multiple positions. Granted, none of them particularly well, but the fact of the matter is that he can basically play every infield position except first base because he's just kind of tiny. Khalil Lee, we saw him at the major league level. Stuck in the same thing as these guys, mashing at AAA. Mm-hmm. He's hitting 400 since being sent down on June 1st, and he has more walks and strikeouts. This is the guy who we saw strike out in what eight consecutive at bats, eight straight when getting the call, eight straight at bats to start his major league baseball career. He doesn't even have eight strikeouts in the eight games he's played at AAA. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, crazy. It's just such a different level of talent that sometimes these guys just need more, they need more more time to develop, and Lee is one of them. And to go with like the velo thing, he's a guy who has a big long swing. Yeah, translates perfectly into AAA baseball because the velo isn't there yeah. at the major league level. You're seeing 94. Yeah, I, I would have liked to get him in the lineup against Matt Harvey today. Would have been great. Yeah, Although Harvey cool. was hitting 95, so yeah, that might yeah, be a little well, faster. Yeah. But maybe against Mac Schroller. Yeah, maybe against Mac the Scholar. Yeah, Mac the Scholar. Add him to the Chase Anderson list of guys we'd like to take BP against. Yeah, absolutely. Although he looked like he was like six seven though, so it might look like he's touching you when he throws. Imposing. Yeah. Before we wrap it up, I just want to talk about my two guys who I referenced on our first farm report. My boy Alex Ramirez, who I was sweating that he was going to be the player to be named later in that Red Sox trade. I know he was like in the pool of possibilities, and they ended up trading him. Freddie Valdez. Freddie Valdez, yeah. Power actually hitting has, Yeah, really interesting tools. Yeah. Power hitting guy. They expect at the major league level at worst, he could be like a 20, 25 home run hitter, and that he might just be like a Miguel Sano sell out, only hit home runs. Yeah. 
That's still interesting, though. That plays on the bench, yeah. But Alex Ramirez, as an 18-year-old in single A, I want to say it again, he's an 18-year-old playing a St. Lucie A-ball, the same team that JT Tangeray is on, <laughs> who he's at, what, 22, 20, 21 years old? JT? Yeah. He should be 21, 22. Yeah, so that, that's a big age difference from the guys he's playing against. We just said Jake Mangum was playing at high A the other week, and he's 32 years old. <laughs> but, Brett Beatty. Uh, <laughs> Brett Beatty's a senior citizen. I hope he gets to the majors eventually. My God. I'm going to tell him tomorrow. I hope he has his walker at the game. But Alex Ramirez, first week of A-ball, 40% K rate. It's going to happen. Five steals, though. Five steals. Pretty cool. Sick athlete. He's got to learn how to play baseball a little bit better. That's going to come. My other guy, Junior Santos, also on the same St. Lucie Mets. Like He's been good. He's been getting the strikeouts that I expected of him. His control's been so-so, which makes sense because he's, I think, again, like 6'9". Yeah. So it's going to take these guys a little bit longer, but keep your eye on the two of them. Thankfully, they're both super young. Yes. So especially Alex Ramirez at 18. And th- is that his first like sniff of minor league baseball? Yes, this, is, this is his first professional baseball. Yeah, so he didn't even get rookie ball, mm-hmm. which like or even like those like instructional leagues because yeah. the dude just had the COVID year and then it's mm-hmm. he's 18 in 2021. So unfortunate, but it'll be definitely cool to keep an eye out on all these guys. As you know, every single week when we do our episodes, the midweek, we're going to do a farm report going over what we missed, what to keep an eye out for, keeping you up to date with all the prospects, as well as talking about the series that we just saw here. Do we have a bad take this week or it was too short? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe people who were jumping off of bridges yesterday. Yeah. I didn't even find any of them. I wasn't even on Twitter very much these last like few days, the whole week, honestly, trying to take a little break. Yeah, I mean, there was really no reason to even put in any thought to what happened in game one. So if people were upset about it, I just went, I actually don't care. Like, I don't even care to think that it's a bad take because it's so stupid. And it's a lot of the takes that have been going on for the last couple of weeks that like the mess of vision is so awful. That's why they're good. Or just that like, oh, this team's not really as good as we think it is. Or when people say that, Taiwan Walker is better than Trevor Bauer. That's just untrue. Yeah. Just, just, I don't know. Both can exist as good pitchers. Yeah, they're both fine. And one can be better, and that's Trevor Bauer. Yes. Let's be honest. We're aware of that. And like, maybe, whatever, I'm not getting into it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much it for for this episode. Episode number 22 of the Mets Up podcast. Make sure you're following us on all our social media. Mets Up. You can watch us on YouTube as well. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find them. I'm your co-host, Giraffneck Mark. Mark Luino with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Sign off for episode number 22 of the Mets Club Podcast. We'll see you guys after the Padres series. Peace out. Thanks for listening.